everyone. This is Brittany, and you're listening to the Canine Culture Podcast, where we discuss all things dog. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode three of the Canine Culture Podcast. We have a special guest today. Her name is Tammy, and she runs a rescue in Jacksonville, Florida called Papillon Pals. Welcome to the show, Tammy. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I am an older lady who is married to an amazing husband and uh, decided that uh, I wanted to start contributing and being the change in the world. So I decided to foster dogs a few years ago. And through fostering it, um, I decided, you know, this is where my heart is. And uh, I have two boys and they've grown and left the nest. And you know, it just seems to be a good thing to do with my time. And um, tell us about Papillon Pals. So for anyone that doesn't know, Papillon Pals is here in Jacksonville, Florida, and it's not just Papillons. I actually adopted a Pomeranian from Papillon Pals. So tell us a little bit about the organization. Well, Papillon Pals was founded by uh, Linda Lucas, and we became tax exempt in 2005. Uh, the rescue originally was Papillon Strictly, but they realized that there was a need uh, to take in other small dogs. So we typically try to stay below 15 pounds. Now, granted, we've gone 18, 20, 22, um, but typically we try to stay small. Um, the rescue has done well over, I'd say, 800 dogs since 2005. Uh, we are small. We stay small. Um, we're basically in Florida. We adopt out to Florida. I have increased our adoption radius uh, quite a bit as long as I can drive up there and back. Um, but uh, it's it's just a little organization and we do our part, you know, to be the change. And a lot, what a lot of people might not know is Tammy does this from her house. So her house is the end-all be-all, the sanctuary. She has it set up so the dogs are super comfortable. They live like family. And... Uh, I don't know the answer to this. How many fosters do you have? Currently, we have eight fosters in the house, and we have three of our own dogs. Um, we try to keep our limit below 11, uh, just because that seems to be the max number that we can handle uh, without mistakes or accidents. Um, you deal with a lot of different personalities. Uh, so... Um, Ideally, eight is a good number, but 11, we've gone up to 13, and that was a little little chaotic. Um, so, uh, yeah, we do it out of the house. The house is not stylish. It's functional. Uh, we totally ripped out all the carpet and put in porcelain tile because pee happens. Pee happens a pee lot. Pee happens a lot. <laughs> pee happens at my house, and I only have three. So. Uh, so you said you got started in rescue work by fostering. So how did that kind of come about? Were you, did you already own some dogs or how did you start fostering other dogs? Well, uh, I, we got a little Papillon. We named him Loki uh, back in, oh gosh, I don't know, 13 years ago and um, decided we loved the breed. Uh, my husband sent me an email back in 2012 that included an event uh, that was going to be a 
not the mega adoption event, but the big adoption events that was hosted by Best Friends Society that's out in Utah uh, that was going to be located right next to where I work. So I thought, hmm, let's check it out. And uh, unbeknown to him that I did it from start to finish. I was there to set up that Thursday, uh, started off Friday. And um, by Sunday, there were a couple dogs that I had attached myself to um, that I needed to make sure were adopted out. So, of course, I was advocating for them. Through that event, I met some very amazing women, and we formed a group called Wolfpack. That Wolfpack, um, we got together once a month, and we decided that um, we wanted to do things for our, you know, rescues and shelters in the area. We formed a group called Ladies. It's an acronym that stands for Loving All Dogs in Every Shelter. Uh, We would pick a rescue or a shelter that needed us, either through volunteering or raising funds. Through those events, there was two events that I had hosted. Um, One was one at a bar. (laughs) Imagine that. (laughs) And um, we had eight local rescues come out. We had a band. We had cornhole tournaments. It was was a fun event. And one of the rescues there was Papillon Pals. through that, I submitted an application and I became a foster in spring of 2014. Oh, wow. Is Ladies still around? Ladies is still around, but it's not as active. Um, okay. I still uh, keep contact with a lot of the people that I met through there. Um, they still contribute. They still donate. They still, um, we can bounce ideas off of them. They've all kind of separated in different ways, but they still are involved to rescue. Okay. That's awesome. So what does a day-to-day look like for you operating a rescue from your home, from waking up to going to bed? I know every day is a little bit different, but what's your average day look like? Well, I think a shit show is probably not an appropriate (laughs) thing, but um, it's because we're small and because we don't do mega numbers like a lot of the rescues. Um, it looks like a typical house would with multiple dogs plus a few more. Typically, you'll have that one or two that wants to wake up because they can't hold it. And of course, then you have to let all of them out at 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, you typically try to go back to bed. Um, you you have a lot of cheerleaders when it's breakfast and dinner time. Um, they all, all have to cheer you on. Some mm-hmm. of them knowing why they're cheering you on. Others just joining in the chorus because... When we've taken in newbies, we try to uh, schedule the vet appointments right off the bat so that we have a blueprint of what is going on with them. Uh, We try to um, delegate our times equally, but sometimes you can't because some require a little bit more. Um, There's a lot of going outside. There's a lot of trying to work on a routine for housebreaking. There's a lot of observing the dogs to see... um, what their fears are, what their triggers might be, what their medical issues might be. Because when they first come in, they don't really show you uh, what could be wrong because they're holding it all inside. Uh, A lot of animals are very stoic and don't let you know that they're in pain. Or you may not notice that uh, they have a urinary tract infection Mm -hmm. or things like that. So you really try to just pay attention to what's going on with the new ones. You try to make sure that there's no altercations. Um, and then we, we, we look forward to bedtime at my house, um, eight 30 can't come soon enough. Um, so, uh, we use a lot of keywords and we encourage them all to go into either the bed that they sleep with me. Um, some will go into little pens because they don't want to go into a crate. Some are crate trained. 
we do try to crate train all most of them just because adopters like having that. And I would rather lose the sleep the first few nights getting them crate trained uh, so that the adopter can decide if they want to go that route or not and make it at least a little bit easier for them there. So I want to go back to potty training because I know a lot of these dogs, regardless of age, they're not potty trained. Do you let the dogs out on a set schedule or do you have like a certain number of hours or how do you kind of go about that? Um, I try to let them out at least every couple of hours. Um, there are times that, you know, if one happens to go to the door, I use a lot of keywords, um, you don't want to go potty. Most of them will just go outside just because, you know, the door's open. So as much as I would like to say that, yes, it's every two hours, um, you know, you do have a few that come in that are potty trained and, and they go to the door. So we try to focus on the behavior and what happens with the behavior of when they go to the door. Uh, we have some that um, are pee pad trained uh, by saying that they think every rug in the house is a pee pad. So we don't have many rugs in the house. Um, and we try to encourage them to use a pee pad and move it closer to the door. So uh, potty training, as nice as it is, it's not our main focus. It's more of a medical, more of a behavioral um you know, but we do try to um, get them as close to potty trained as possible before adopting out. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So we we so we got Stony from Papillon Pals from Tammy, and she's a senior, uh, but she and she was not potty trained because she had lived in a cage her entire life, but she actually learned pretty quickly what to do, when to do it. She told us when she had to go out. And now we have Napoleon. He's only two, but he's very developmentally behind. Um, he also pretty much lived in a cage, drugged up for the first two years of his life. So he's not comprehending potty training at all. He And if he goes outside, he gets distracted. He eats dirt. He eats sticks, everything but go to the bathroom. So when he comes in, it's like, oh, yeah, I have to go. So that is one thing we're kind of we're kind of struggling with. Um, as far as potty training, and I have heard try to get them on a schedule as far as taking them out at a certain time, and unfortunately, that has not worked for us. So we've tried the keywords, we've tried all of that with Napoleon, and we are still struggling with it, and we are in month five or six, Right. so right. we're hoping to have a breakthrough. Um, so if you ever get a dog from a rescue and they say they're potty trained, maybe they were potty trained in those circumstances, but they might not be at your house. And, and we could probably talk about that in a little bit, because we're going to talk a little bit about what it looks like to rescue a dog and all of that. But, uh, the moral of this story is patience. Yes. And the one thing also remember Stoney was living in a home that had multiple other dogs and the home was nothing but pee and poop everywhere. So I think she appreciates living in a clean environment. And so because she's learned, if I do my business outside, mm -hmm. my place stays clean. So that could be it where, unfortunately, Napoleon didn't get the benefits of going outside. So he wants to eat and mm -hmm. explore all that fun stuff. Yeah, he's very ADHD. Very. <laughs> so where do most of the dogs come from that you end up taking in as a rescue? 
Well, that varies. Um, If they're papillons, a lot of folks that are surrendering them can Google Papillon Rescue Florida, um, and we instantly come up. Um, uh, Others will come from if shelters, posts, dogs, um, any of our followers see them, they instantly either send me a message, tag me in the post, Some of the shelters, once I do pull a dog from there, I give them all my information. I've tried to reach out to a few shelters to let them know if you can't adopt them, if you need them to come in, please contact me. Um, We've branched out and started taking other small dogs more so now. Um, I think I have more non-Papions than I have Papions. Um, Our local shelters are totally full. They know that I will take the medical. They know that I'll take the behavioral. Um, so they reach out to me when they know that I have an opening or I'll reach out and say, Hey, what do you have? Um, I also try to scan pet finders just to see if I can see any papillons, Pomeranians, long haired chihuahuas, um, you know, anything that's under 15 pounds that may benefit from coming into rescue and not being in a shelter environment. So going back to people surrender, surrendering their, their papillons, How often are you seeing that right now? We see it quite a bit. We see it um, really a lot with older parents that end up in homes or pass. Um, The family just doesn't want the dog either. You know, they don't have the space. Uh, There was never any life plan talked about. Uh, The dog could have behavioral issues because the dog was never socialized, which is a big problem. Um, a few times this past year was, um, life situations, work situations where, you know, they just didn't have the time to devote to them because their jobs had changed due to COVID. Um, so instead of working from home, like they were originally had been or whatever, they had to change careers and now they were traveling and, um, you know, we have all different reasons, Uh, We took in one that the mother was going through, um, had breast cancer, and she had to move in with her children, and the children said, no, you cannot bring the dog. So, um, you know, we tried not to be judgmental in the reason. We try to offer, you know, yes, to say yes to, you know, whatever we can. Mm -hmm. Um, But owner surrenders, they are few and far between with the Papillon breed, but the majority of them are because the older folks take them in and they don't have a conversation with friends or family in regards to taking their dogs. Okay. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of Pomeranian surrenders lately. And I feel like a lot of the Pomeranians get surrendered, whether it be because someone has a baby and Pomeranians, they can be pretty protective of their humans. So I feel like that's normally a reason or Pomeranians are somewhat notorious for some health issues when they get older. So it seems like, unfortunately, a lot lately, I have seen people surrendering or just disposing of their Pomeranians that are eight, nine, 10 years old. Seems to be, I don't know if it's that it's more frequent now or if we just are more aware of it with social media. That could be it too. We see it more Mm -hmm. in our face because we follow the groups and we're Mm -hmm. trying to stay in the now as far as what is going on, who needs us, what what can we do. So yes, it's more in our face now too. Right. And that could be a good thing because now we can hopefully get ahead of it 
rehome these dogs, help them not be euthanized, not be just thrown out on the streets. The um, one thing that about, especially with small dogs, people think it's so cute when they do this, the little growling, the the protectiveness. It's not cute. They need socialization. They need manners. They need to go out and about. They need walks. Even if you have a fenced-in yard, they need to be out and about to get different smells and sights so that they're not fearful because typically the aggressive behavior is fearfulness. Right. So, you know, that is a biggie is people think, I live in an apartment. I don't have to take my dog very far. And no, you need you need to introduce that dog to different personalities and sights and sounds. Right. Yeah, we've been dealing with that with both of our rescues, just getting them around more people, more things, more dogs, more smells. And it's it's a challenge. Uh, it's like Stony. She was afraid of every single human she came in contact with. And just taking her, she's traveled everywhere now. She's been to California, Oregon, Washington, Texas, Ohio, you name it, Stoney's been. And she's getting much better. She's more receptive to humans. She'll let people pick her up, especially if you have chicken. Um, so <laughs> she's definitely come around. And then Napoleon is, <laughs> he's working on it. <laughs> so what would you say is the most challenging part of running a rescue? Uh, there are multiple challenges. Um, I would say um, when you have that young, healthy little unicorn, you receive so many applications, so many great applications, and picking just one and having to tell the other applicants that we chose someone else, but to not discourage them from wanting to adopt. You know, um, so many people we have so many people that want to adopt, but, um, you know, we only have that one or two really healthy young dogs that they're looking for. Um, so let, letting someone down easy is, is a big one. Um, the second challenge is the limitations. You need to know that you can't save them all. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it is so hard because, I got myself in a pickle one time where I was the yes girl for so many. And that's when we got up to 13. Mm -hmm. Accidents happen. Um, altercations happen. Um, vet bills happened. And then you're constantly asking for money, 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 money. And you have fights. And so you really have to know your limitations. You have to know how much time you can dedicate to each dog, the dog that you're taking in. Are you able to handle the medical, the behavioral, do you have the resources? So, um, so yeah, those two are the biggest challenges. Yeah. And I expect you to be the yes girl. Cause I tag you in every <laughs> small dog in Florida, Georgia. And I try to, when I see it, I'm like, okay. Um, you know, granted I don't have any fosters or many, um, especially for the behavioral ones. Uh, so I at least try to send that to somebody that I think might be able to help if I can't. Right, right. So what's the most rewarding part of running the rescue? And I'm sure there's several, just helping the dogs every day, I'm sure is a reward in and of itself. But what's the most rewarding part for you? Seeing a dog that comes in from the shelter that nobody could touch or nobody could handle, and it has so many medical issues, seeing them decompress, seeing them get healthy, seeing their little heart light shine, um, and then just seeing the adopter just saying, this is the one, this, I just, you can just see that love instantly. 
uh, and then getting the updates. Mm -hmm. That is just, um, those updates keep us rescuers going because sometimes, you know, we attach to one or two, um, that get really, really close and saying goodbye is hard, but getting to see that they are doing so great in their homes, like Stoney, you Mm -hmm. know, getting to see her go to California and the, the the hiking pictures with you carrying her (laughs) is just fantastic. So, so yes, that is definitely a huge reward. So for people who do want to rescue, what are three red flags that almost automatically you're like, no, I can't (laughs) adopt you. There's no way. Okay, well, when you send an email inquiring about a dog, when you put how much, and that's it, um, that's pretty much, you know, ask about the dog, take a couple minutes, use a couple other sentences, tell us about yourself, tell us what intrigued you about the dog, Um, you know, that and asking questions that are in the bio. We take time to write as much information about the dog in there so you don't have to ask, so you know. Um, so yes, how much and how old is the dog when it's right there? Right. Um, that's the big ones. Another red flag is when folks are reserved in their answers on the application um, or in their emails when we reach out and ask them a couple and they give us just one or two word answers. Um, open up. Let us know a little bit about you. Uh, let us know about the situation we're asking about. Uh, and finally, when they don't listen to the tips, suggestions, um, the disclosures on what that animal might need, um, we get it. You've had a dog or two, you know, you've taken in a, a scared one and it shined in your, you know, in while you had it. Um, not all dogs are that way. We try to give you as much information that we've gathered to help make this a successful transition. Don't over talk us. Don't, you know, we, we don't need to be dominated. We're trying to hear you, but we're just trying to give you as much information as possible as well. Right. I think a lot of people do let their ego get in the way. You know, you see these rescue groups and people are like, well, I've had 10 dogs. I don't know why this rescue isn't giving me this dog. And it's like, well, could have been what you just said. It could have been your attitude. It could have been how you answered your questionnaire. So exactly. I don't know if a lot of people rescuing understand these rescues. They're not being nosy. They could care less what you're doing with your life, but they need the information to know if you were going to be a good fit for this particular dog, because at the end of the day, they know the dog better than you do. Correct. And after even 10 years of being in rescue, I am still learning. I am still reaching out to uh, fellow rescuers, fellow or to vets or vet techs or trainers. I have a plethora of trainer friends that, you know, um, you know, I bounce ideas and how is this not working or what is this? So always be open to listening. Right. So what are three positive attributes of an adopter where you see it and you're like, okay, green flag, this might be the one? Uh, A wonderful vet reference is a star quality, Um, especially when we call um, and offhand the receptionist is like, oh my gosh, I know them. They're fantastic. I mean, that that speaks volumes. Um, If the vet may say that you went above and beyond um, the annual stuff, um, you know, not necessarily the chemo treatments or anything, but you know, that you didn't decline everything forward. That's, that's a big gold star for us. When you fill out the application, take time to elaborate a little bit on how you would 
correct a problem or um, say, for instance, when you've taken in a previous dog and the experience that that dog has brought you, your application answers really give us um, a window insight to what you are like as an adopter. And we may see um, that personality would fit that particular dog. Uh, so that would be a, a bonus on there. Um, and finally, um, having a realistic, realistic expectation of a rescue dog. Um, know that they um, typically were surrendered because they weren't the perfect little dog. Uh, they may come with behavioral issues. They may come with medical issues. We try to give a full disclosure of everything we know. We don't hide. I, I will tell you every flaw about that dog because their cuteness makes you want them. So um, realize that you know, you're going to have to put in the work, just like if you were to get a new puppy, you would have to housebreak it, you would have to train the dog. When you take in a rescue, you are taking in all the failed things that somebody else has done to this dog and rewiring. But I can assure you that they are absolutely worth it. Right, right. So kind of piggybacking off of that, what's your advice for people who are adopting, and it might be their first rescue dog, it might be their fifth. And before you answer this, uh, we kind of talked about this before we started recording, but I think patience is one of the most important things. And you might think you're patient, but let one of these little yippy dogs test you. Let them bite at you a few times. Let them pee in the house every day. And really, you really learn where you're at with your patient. So, you know, what other advice do you have for people when they're rescuing a dog? Um, you know, definitely the patients, there's a three, three, three rule. It's three days, three weeks, three months. Typically any dog that I have in rescue, we keep them for at least 30 days because they don't show us their true selves, um, because they're still scared. They don't want to eat. They're still decompressing. They're still building trust. You know, they're still waiting for to be moved on to another home. So, you know, you really just need to be completely patient with not only the dog, and you need to give the dog a chance, um, be patient with the rescue themselves. I mean, so many people will say, well, I submitted an application, and I didn't hear back from them. Now, mind you, I know that a lot of rescues um, only respond that if they chose you, which, you know, yeah, it, it sucks. Um, I, I can't do anything about it. All I can do is control what I'm able to do. So I do try to communicate with everybody. Um, sometimes when you submit an application, as soon as you see the dog, you may not get a response because I'm not even looking at that application. I'm concerned on getting that dog better, finding out the flaws. I couldn't tell you if your apple, if you are a good candidate for this dog, because I don't know this dog. Right. So, um, it's like applying for a job. You're not always going to hear back and it sucks and it's not intentional. It's just. Sometimes people are busy doing other things. Right. You know? Rescue is all volunteer. So, you know, we're working, we're taking care of dogs, we're taking care of our families, we're trying to, you know, enjoy life as well on top of doing this. So, um, you know, sometimes a dog will bring in 20 to 30 applications. So a rescue doesn't have time to respond back to all of that. And then, of course, you know, you have to deal with the disgruntled people of why. And unfortunately, you know, that happens too. But um, just patience in the whole process. 
Um, don't be a Karen. That's what she's trying to tell you guys. <laughs> Just don't be a Karen. And if you don't get that reference, you should honestly Google it because it is 2022. Yeah. You know, um, there's, there's a lot of heartbreak and rescue. Um, but I try to make sure that could I pass my application? I try to be fair. Um, where before they had a certain criteria, you had to have a fenced in yard. You had to be stay at home. Um, I try to look at it as it's to, for each dog. Does that dog need you home all the time? No, you can go work um, as long as you're not a worker bee or you're not a social butterfly where that dog's home alone. Um, sometimes when it says that it's a fenced-in yard required, perhaps that dog can't walk on a leash. We don't want you to get discouraged by the dog having so many accidents in your home. We know that dog needs to go potty, so therefore we're asking for a fenced-in yard. Um, perhaps that dog is terrified of the leash and will bite you. So we need you to have a way of letting the dog outside. So there are reasons for the requirements for each dog. Each rescue, again, is different, um, but this is particularly for us. So um, just patience all the way around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we applied for a dog. Uh, he was up in Virginia Beach, had a wheelchair, couldn't go to the bathroom by himself, and had mm. constant seizures. Poor guy. He was like six years old. And I got turned down immediately and I got frustrated, but she said, you travel too much and he has a wheelchair. You have to help him go to the bathroom every single time he goes. And she gave me the whole list and I was able to sit back and be like, you know what? You're right. That dog can't fly in an airplane. He's not going to do well in a 12 hour car ride. So it made sense that that rescue turned me down. I, I, I could have handled him, but I totally understand why, because I don't think that dog would have been as comfortable with us as he could be with someone who's retired and home. And, and they're trying to look for right. the best fit and not that you wouldn't be a great, great candidate, but they're mm -hmm. just trying to look that something wouldn't be stressful on that dog as well. Right. So how can the listeners help Papillon Pals? What needs do you guys have right now? Um, well, we always have financial needs. Um, and some of the great things that Facebook is doing is you can pick us for a birthday charity. Um, it's great. So instead of your friends sending you another candle or a picture frame that you really don't need, they can donate five or 10 bucks. And that really adds up. Uh, another thing is a lot of us are Amazon shoppers, especially being stuck at home for so long. There's a thing called Amazon Smile. You can go to it. You can pick any charity that's on there and 0.05% of your purchase price gets donated from Amazon quarterly to that charity you chose. Uh, there's also charity wish lists that uh, some charities can make and you can go directly to that and buy the items that they might need. Um, some of you have really creative minds. Help us come up with fundraising ideas that haven't been done before. Uh, maybe you're crafty. You can make uh, blankets that fit into their little crates or belly bands or some other little cute things that we can put out there to receive donations for. Um, volunteering uh, for, you know, giving us some of your skills for website design. Things like that are wonderful. And finally, fosters. Um, if you can even foster for just a little bit of time, uh, especially if you're skilled in behavioral cases, um, I know I have uh, one little guy that would be, I need to see how he would do out of a home with multiple dogs. So just little, little things, a little bit of time, um, sharing posts, if anything else, sharing our posts to get their word out. 
um, and get their stories seen. That helps us a lot. Where can people find Papillon Pals? Uh, you can Google Papillon Rescue and you can find our website, papillonpalsrescue.com. Uh, Facebook, it's Papillon Pals Rescue, and Instagram is Papillon Pals. But note, I'm not really good at Instagram yet, so I'm still trying to figure that out. So I might hashtag the Dickens out of it because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to go work with some dogs now. And Tammy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Canine Culture Podcast. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcast. And don't forget to share with your friends and family. To stay up to date, please follow us on social media, Canine Culture Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. If you have any questions or suggestions, please email us at caninecultureapodcast at gmail.com.